Thanks for joining us for Life Solved. At the University of Portsmouth, our research is working to change the way we live and work today, often seeking solutions to issues in our culture and society. This time, we look at the darker side of digital connectivity. For all of the brilliant connections formed by social media, websites, forums, mobile apps, and the Internet of Things, there are some issues that still need work to keep people safe and make sure these tools are used for good. So one of the biggest issues when it comes to understanding the role of technology in these sorts of domestic abuse contexts is that it's not necessarily taken seriously. Lisa Segura is a senior lecturer in criminology and cybercrime in the School of Criminology and Criminal Justice. She shares her research on how digital tech is permitting new forms of abuse and shares ideas on how we can address this in our justice system going forward. Lisa's curiosity about people in tech has seen her taking a law degree, as well as studying web science, criminology, and criminal law. Drawing on many different disciplines has given her a unique perspective and led her to a PhD in online deviance in purchasing medicines. Now she's focusing more closely on cybercrime in relation to gender. I've got this broader interest in how people use technology to harm, how people are using technology in ways that weren't originally envisaged. So I'm really able to combine my personal and professional passions about things like gender inequality and gender-based violence and harms in my research. I still see myself first and foremost as a criminologist, a social scientist, and that's very much the approach I take to my study of cybercrime. It's very much the human dimensions, the behavioural aspects rather than the technical. Because of the fast-moving nature of digital technology and the ever-evolving role it plays in our lives, Lisa's able to study and see the impact of her research in real time. However, she says the nature of tech does mean the law can often lag behind in protecting the most vulnerable in society. The technology, the internet, is such a dynamic area, so it's really fast-paced, it's really quite hard to keep up with it. And I think, actually, we've mentioned, I've talked about interdisciplinarity previously, but you really do need that approach to studying technology and the internet, because you can't just look at it from one perspective. To have a holistic appreciation, you really do need to draw on pretty much all disciplines. And I think that's where some of the tensions arise as well. So law can be pretty stagnant. So in terms of seeing an impact, from your research, the law is always so far behind technology development and the pre-existing legislation often doesn't account for some of the new harms that arises from technology. It didn't really foresee how people would use technology in these different ways as well. And there's certainly a problem when it comes to technology design as well, not being particularly diverse. I think there's such a, a speed in which technology is being created and often it, there's, a, there's a sort of optimistic attitude towards it, that it's just for good, it's just for ease and accessibility without thinking how people can misuse it. And they're not thinking about who is vulnerable. And often it's those that are most vulnerable offline in society anyway, the marginalised communities that are then going to be further discriminated and face further oppressions through technology and online. It was a recent project for the Home Office Domestic Abuse Perpetrators Fund that drew Lisa to look closely at the role of current technology in enabling domestic abuse. Originally, we were looking to see 
whether or not there was an overlap between computer misuse offences, so behaviours that are encompassed within the Computer Misuse 1990 Act, and domestic abuse, so whether or not perpetrators were engaging in illegal activities such as unauthorised access to digital devices, so hacking basically, things like deploying viruses on devices, defacement of devices, so anything that comes within that legislation. The Computer Misuse Act of 1990 was introduced to tackle cybercrime and hacking. It includes criminal offences such as unauthorised access to computer material, unauthorised access with the intention to commit or facilitate further offences, and the unauthorised modification of computer material. This Act has been amended and updated several times through the years, and the Home Office were keen to understand the intersection of this Act with domestic abuse. Lisa and the team quickly realised that this legislation didn't really extend to cover the complexities of abuses that were taking place in a contemporary digital space. We realised that actually domestic abuse perpetrators are engaging in a whole host of behaviours that contravene many other forms of law, such as malicious communications and stalking and the Criminal and Justice Courts Act. So things like what is colloquially known as revenge pornography, but is more appropriately known as image-based sexual abuse because it addresses the severity of harms that people are experiencing. And actually, the extent of it is really quite harrowing. Technology will pretty much feature in all domestic abuse contexts where there is coercive and controlling behaviour. The problem is when it comes to domestic abuse that doesn't feature physical violence, it's still a problem in how that is responded to. So now that technology is very much part of that, that obviously just exacerbates the problem. A lot of these behaviours are about controlling and monitoring and stalking as well. And often if a perpetrator has put something like spyware, so that is essentially something like an app on your phone or your laptop, which will then allow them to track everything you do on that laptop and track your location wherever obviously that item goes, or if that item goes with you, they'll be able to trace your movements. So how do you approach researching illegal behaviour in an online space? There was a team of eight of us, (laughs) researchers from both the University of Portsmouth and the University of Kent. And the team was interdisciplinary, so there were criminologists, victimologists, media studies experts, as well as computer scientists. We spoke with domestic abuse service providers, so charities. We also spoke with frontline police officers. Um, We spoke with a member of the Crown Prosecution Service as well, the CPS, to get their insights. Undertaken the research, which involved looking at media cases in the UK and internationally where technology had featured within a domestic abuse case. We also did a technology review, having a look at essentially what is available online for would-be perpetrators. So rather uncomfortably putting ourselves in the mindset of a would-be perpetrator to, to kind of see what tools and guidance and information is out there if you so wanted to engage in these kinds of harms against a partner. And then we also spoke with domestic abuse service providers, so charities, frontline police officers and court officials to to sort of really understand this situation from the victim's perspective. And we realised it was far greater than the Computer Misuse Act. And actually, there's 
there's still much more that the legislation needs to do in terms of catching up with the true picture of what is occurring. And also the many limitations in terms of supporting victims and understanding victims. Lisa says that because of the way the law works, domestic abuse in an online context isn't taken as seriously as physical abuse when it comes to trials. And that is an issue. There might be digital evidence, there might be the trail, but then it's there's a problem with collecting that evidence that is then admissible in court. It's evidence that the police can actually use. And sometimes the onus of responsibility to collect that is on the victim. The victim who might not be in the right state of mind to deal with that. And also it could put them in more severe risk of danger as well if they were to try and take screenshots or copy evidence of abuse or even things like removing spyware or devices that are logging every movement. If you were to find out that that is obviously on there and you were to try and deinstall it, that could actually send a message to the perpetrator, which of course could then put you at other forms of risk as well. Lisa says our wider attitude around online stalking is also problematic and undermines the damage this kind of behaviour can cause. I think society, there's almost that sort of acceptance that some of these behaviours are just part of digital culture today. And I think the word stalking is used in a way that minimises the real threats and dangers where people say, oh yeah, you know, I'm just stalking so-and-so online or I'm just checking up on my partner. You know, and I think it's about recognising that for some people living in these abusive contexts that this is severely damaging their lives and we need to take it far more seriously. Lisa thinks that a culture of stalking and abuse can be legitimised by the wealth of online resources and products available to facilitate this. Part of the research, we undertook a technology review. So we wanted to see what tools, what information and guidance is out there. So if somebody was, unfortunately, thinking about wanting to monitor, stalk their their partner, how easy is it for them? And what we found is that it's incredibly easy and accessible and cheap. And it's almost legitimised, basically, that the big search engines make it easy. When you start typing in search queries, as you would, you know, with particular words, sometimes it's finished for you. <laughs> in a way that's that's obviously validating it, that's normalising it. You get sent to various websites where you can buy things like covert cameras, microphones, listening devices, and the wealth of these things is, is astonishing. And the various forms they take are particularly disturbing. So everyday banal objects are disguised. So you can basically observe or, or listen in in different environments. So the disguise is cuddly teddy bears, plug sockets, air fresheners, pens, deodorants, light bulbs, glasses, pretty much anything you can think of and more you will find readily available. And they're not just on these sorts of covert websites in which, you know, they look a bit dodgy. They are available on all the big platforms as well, where you, you know, without naming names, they are readily available. Once you put in one search term looking for this sort of information or these sorts of products, it's how the algorithms work online. You would then get directed to far many more products and platforms.
Some of us may be familiar with headlines about online stalking and abuses of privacy online, but Lisa explained that the forms domestic abuse can take here are extensive and varied. During her investigations, she was surprised to find how many opportunities there were for abusive behaviours to develop. The team classified these as technology-facilitated domestic abuse. One form this can take is unauthorised access to accounts. What might be more commonly referred to as things like hacking, and this might be done with the use of technological tools or even no technical skills whatsoever. So people might be able to get access to to their partner's accounts just by virtue of knowing their partners. They'll be able to guess their passwords quite easily, for example. They might not necessarily need to have downloaded something or use technology such as key loggers, which allows them to see what people are typing. So sometimes you don't need those technical skills. But also within coercive and controlling environments, you get situations where perpetrators will have either forced through threats passwords out of their partners or even emotionally manipulated it. So, for example, things like, well, if you love me, you'd share your accounts with me, you'd share your passwords with me. Through these means, an abusive partner might gain access to every area of a victim's life, from social media accounts to bank accounts and emails. There's no aspect of that person's life that is off limits to their abuser. Another form abuse can take is forced or unauthorised access to internet accounts. Earlier on, Lisa mentioned spyware, which is designed to enable stalking, but some conventional apps can also be misused for this purpose. This can take the form of things like apps, which are deliberately designed to track and monitor and control people. And these can be put on to digital devices surreptitiously and they look innocuous. They look like something that, you know, you might not notice. And so the perpetrator is able to see everything that is basically put onto that device. They get absolute access and also able to understand the physical locations. But we also saw, which is quite unnervingly, is how apps that are used for legitimate, genuine purposes are also being misused in these contexts. So things like Find My Phone, which is a genuine app, and if used legitimately, is obviously, you know, I think a really good thing in terms of security for family members and particularly things like children as well, but how they are being misused as well to keep tabs on people. But any sorts of accounts whereby people can sort of track locations, so things like food delivery apps as well, and online subscriptions, or even TV streaming services, all things like that that keep credit card details, addresses, anything like that are then being used for perpetrators to conduct stalking behaviours. The project team also found some holes in the existing legislation, with nothing in place to protect people who have been framed through the creation of fake accounts online. Essentially, perpetrators would create fake accounts and it could be that these accounts would mimic the victim and then they would present the victim in a really negative light. There were some cases where you had a fake account set up on dating apps where they were presented in ways that would damage their reputation. And I think one particularly memorable, awful case, an ex-partner of a woman created this fake account and said she was she wanted people to come and sexually assault her. And they put her address on this advert and she did actually have a man turn up thinking that that's what she wanted. 
And also with these fake accounts, it could be that they could be mimicking friends, family members, because they want access, particularly if the relationship is broken down and the victim doesn't want anything more to do with them. So it's a way of accessing them again, finding out information about them. Some of the resources the team used in research looked at media reports and headlines. Many of us will have heard the term revenge porn, but Lisa says the term image-based sexual abuse is more appropriate for this. There's a lot of scholarly work about the problems in using the term revenge pornography, and I appreciate that is the term that is mediatised, most colloquially known, but it really doesn't recognise the, the level of harms as well. And it's not always about revenge as well. It's not always about an ex-partner and things like that. But yeah, so in terms of domestic abuse perpetrators, they might be threatening to release intimate images, again, to humiliate them and disparage them or actually doing so. And often it's for maximum impact where they will deliberately send it to employers, for example, to try and obviously threaten their careers and and things like that. And what's more frightening now as well is that with the advancement of technology, perpetrators don't even need to have actual images. There's the advent of deep fake technologies now as well, which is completely sophisticated beyond the realms of Photoshop of yesteryear, where they are so sophisticated that it's pretty impossible for the human eye to recognise that this isn't the genuine person involved. If you hadn't heard the term, deep fake technology uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to create synthetic audio and video images. It can even be used to create believable fakes of human faces or transfer one image into another context. In fact, the increasing intelligence systems created by the use of personal data and machine learning are vulnerable to abuse by perpetrators who want to spy on or unnerve victims. Perpetrators are also using the Internet of Things. So any devices that are networked, which are connected to the Internet, which is more, what more and more of us are pretty much having in our households now. So things like ring doorbells and high heating systems and Alexa and Google Hub and all sorts of things like that are actually being used as well to manipulate gaslight people and, and generally terrify victims as well. We found that there's cases where, for example, the ring doorbell, that perpetrators, particularly where the victim has left them and maybe gone to a new location and the perpetrator is trying to find that. If they're able to still get access to the data from something like Ring Doorbell, they're obviously able to kind of see who's coming and going to, to that address and, and things like that. With the Hive heating system, they're able to change the, the temperature of the heating system. And I appreciate oh, that might seem a little bit innocuous, but when that is somebody who is living in a coercive controlling setting and they're not able to manage the heat where they are that is just another way of of saying that your life is not your own so I mentioned like home hub systems they can be used to find people's location but also just to listen in on conversations listen to what the victim is up to and that is particularly pertinent in situations where there are things like ongoing child custody contexts and where the other party is trying to find out information that they can then use against them in court and we have evidence that that has actually been used. Some of these ideas might sound extreme if you haven't experienced it but the truth is that technology facilitated abuse is now a commonplace part of domestic abuse settings. 
we were speaking with the experts, we were speaking with those that support victims day to day. This is their profession. And so we obviously got their insight as to where technology was featuring within domestic abuse context, the extent of it, which shockingly the domestic abuse service providers said that it's pretty much every single case they see now that they, they would expect technology to feature in some form. And even where the victims may not necessarily volunteer that information straight away, it would be something that they'd ask They'd ask about the devices. They'd ask about what perpetrators have got access to. And frontline police officers say the same thing as well, that they just expect it now. In spite of this, there is an issue when it comes to applying the law to abuse in this context. The drafted online safety bill is an act that has been proposed to create a duty of care for uses of online platforms and to limit harmful speech. But Lisa says it still isn't robust enough to protect people from the kinds of harms that she's studied. There's a problem with the collation of evidence and there's a problem with applying the law. So there is the amendment coming through. We've got, well, we've got the new domestic abuse bill that we now have. But technology is implied rather than specified. So you're not really taking into account particular nuances then about what technology is doing and impacting upon these sorts of harms. There's not a specific section that says these are technological offences within this bill. This is how technology features within domestic abuse. And so actually something else that we found is that along with often the recognition that violence and domestic abuse does not just have to be physical, is even from victims themselves, that they might not realise that they have been subjected to these further forms of abuses. So, whereas unfortunately, if if somebody is physically hurt, they recognise that and they might say, well, I'm in a domestic abuse situation, but then they might not realise that the access to the technology, the, the bombardment of messages constantly through social media, the creation of fake accounts, the threats to disseminate intimate images, they might not think that that is still part of that wider, broader pattern of the abuse that they're experiencing. Without a law that explicitly specifies these harms as criminal offences, the fear is that victims themselves will remain disempowered and unable to acknowledge and identify abuse of this kind in the first place. If you would like to know more, we've put some resources in the show notes of this episode. But what does Lisa suggest if you're concerned about someone or yourself? Refuge, which is a fantastic charity supporting all victims of domestic abuse, irrespective of of gender. They have excellent resources about tech abuse, really clear, really accessible. And they've got expertise as well within the organisation that really sort of lead in the way in understanding how technology is being used in these contexts. Anybody that is worried, anybody that obviously has concerns, please reach out to specialist support services. Particularly in Portsmouth, we have a Aurora New Dawn as well, who I cannot recommend highly enough. And they are really informed as well about technology and technological abuse. If somebody is worried, if somebody is in a situation where they're they're not comfortable with it, that they are at risk, that it's about getting the appropriate help and support to instead of trying to sort of collate evidence yourself. And I I really wouldn't want to put anybody in further harm. So I would say get specialist advice in the first instance. And, and then if you do, you know, if it is about taking this to the police, then you've got them on board as well. They can, they can appropriately advise you about your particular individual circumstances. 
In the next phase of research, Lisa hopes to interview victims for a deeper insight into their experiences, but she hopes that findings so far will support updates in the legislation that are already underway in some cases. I think in terms of legislation, there's a current review of the Computer Misuse Act being undertaken. There is no legislation that addresses the issue of the creation of fake accounts. So I think that's something that could be included within that or the forthcoming online safety bill, which is due in March. It's due any day now. So it'll be interesting to see if that's been considered at all in there. I think there's that real specification of technology and the different forms of technological abuses within domestic abuse contexts that need to be specified, which would then empower victims to help them understand experiences and allow law enforcement and the courts to, to be able to have a sort of clearer direction in what to do. I think there's a responsibility on tech companies in terms of the development of tools and applications and to consider how they can be used and abused and who is vulnerable and why. There's a real lack of diversity and representation within tech companies and and the design process. So in terms of thinking about that safety by design built in to all future projects, then I think that really needs to be implemented. There's the huge problem in terms of the availability of these innocuous looking covert devices. I think there definitely there needs to be some regulation around the sale of these items because they are being used for stalking. And we're not just talking about people just being watched. It does ultimately end up in the worst case scenario and people you know people are being murdered. Lisa also emphasises the need for deeper training to empower police and support services, as well as an addressing of the web algorithms that recommend devices to offenders and potential offenders. You can find out more about research at the University of Portsmouth at port.ac.uk forward slash research and find links to all the studies we've mentioned there. If you found this episode thought-provoking, we'd love to hear from you. Share it on social media with the hashtag LifeSolved, or perhaps just send it to a friend. And if you have a moment, please do rate, review and follow this podcast on your app so that more people like you can join the conversation. Listener.